Welcome to Religious Renegade Podcast. My name is Christina Carlson, and I am a life coach, podcast host, and ex-evangelical. On this podcast, I will be interviewing people at all stages of their deconstruction journeys and sharing on topics that are relevant to living in life beyond religion. My wish for you as a listener is that you find hope and comfort here, that you are able to see yourself in these stories and to know deeply that you are not the only one. You are not a lost sheep or someone who has fallen away. You are strong and brave and willing to ask the hard questions for yourself, for your children, and for the world. If you are interested in sharing your story, please email me at christinacarlsonlifecoach at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Please note that you can be kept anonymous if you wish. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, Today, I am going to be doing a solo episode uh, telling you about my experience of being and getting caught up in a cult um, when I was in college. Um, Several of you have asked about my experience about a cult in Hawaii because I've sort of hinted at it. So I wanted to do this episode to tell you about that experience and how that kind of paved the way for me to leave religion altogether. Uh, When I was in high school, I had very little self-belief. I did not want to get a loan for college. And this was mainly because I thought I would fail at whatever career I chose and wouldn't be able to pay it back. I had um, a lot of thoughts, which made made sense. Um, I was told like that I would become a wife and a mother. And I saw so many wives and mothers not using their careers. And my mom um, didn't have a college degree and didn't have a career. And I just, I, I didn't see it as something that would be able to be paid back. Um, and I also didn't want to be a burden. And my thought was that if I had debt, I would be a burden. Um, that would make me less likely to get married, which was not really what I wanted to do. Um, but it was what I felt like I had to do. Um, I had this verse in the back of my mind, the borrower is the lender's slave, and I thought that sounded very scary and was wanting to avoid that. Um, I didn't want to feel trapped. So <laughs> long story short, I decided to go to Bible college. <laughs> I had a plan to attend one somewhat close by and applied, but I was denied enough financial aid to make it feasible, so I got on Google. Um, it was one... I was really sad about it, actually. I felt pretty devastated about the loss of this college. I was I had actually visited with my mom for like a college visit and was really excited. Um, it just seemed really cool. My cousin had gone there, um, but that didn't end up panning out. So I got on Google and was over at a friend's house. And I just Googled Bible colleges in the U.S. and I found so many. Um, I think that this also must have included like quote-unquote, discipleship schools, etc. So there was just so many options. Um, (laughs) But I felt specifically drawn to one in California because they had a really good website and because it was California. The school's campus was beautiful. Um, The pictures and people were beautiful. It felt like a dream. I 
applied immediately um, from the computer at my friend's house. And um, I got my acceptance letter shortly after that. Um, when I said I wanted to go, my parents did their own quick Google search of Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel and said, seems legit. And um, sent me on my way. I still remember asking my dad about um, whether... Uh, like telling him that I wanted to go and him saying like, okay, are you sure you want to do this? And it was one of those moments, I think it started a series in my life where I was like, I just have to be impulsive or I'm never going to make decisions. So I just was like, yes, yes, I will not be changing my mind. Um, I think the plane ticket was non-refundable or something. Um, so I, I had a very dramatic exit. I had deep, uh, friendships here that I was leaving behind. Um, one was a, <laughs> a marriage proposal, um, that came literally the night before I left. Um, and I left <laughs> and all of my friends took me to the airport the next morning. And, um, honestly, I hated the first few days in California because it was not friendly. It was not like, um, Midwestern kindness that I was so used to. Um, Midwest has a lot of niceties, uh, just like extra fluffy niceness wave to everybody. It's in that sense, it's country, even though I've never lived in the country and California was a bit of a shock, but that quickly faded as I made more and more friends there. Turns out I loved having the freedom to choose my friends. Um, my social circle at home had been limited and this wasn't exactly a lot bigger, but it was new and it was different. And I was on my own thousands of miles from home, quote unquote, on my own. I mean, I was at a Bible college that had a closed campus, so <laughs> there was quite a few restrictions, but, um, for me, it felt like a huge taste of freedom. It wasn't long after my second semester that the kids on campus started talking about what was called satellite campuses. And this is where someone who was a pastor, usually like a pastor who'd graduated from the original Bible college, would go to a new location and take some students and start a new Bible college. They would get involved with a local Calvary Chapel church, and the classes would mostly be streamed in live online from the main campus in California. This was talked about as a great way to start uh, to step into local missionary work all over the world. And I mean all over. There were campuses in Japan, London, uh, I think Brazil. Wales, I can't think of the other ones. There was there were so many um, different places in the U.S. as well, but that didn't really appeal to me. I wanted to go further. Uh, the new one that was going to be starting up in the fall, though, was in Hawaii, and my friend and I looked at each other and we both said, "Yes, let's do it." So the next fall, we were on our way to a small tropical island, and we're so excited. And I still remember the smell of the air as soon as we stepped off the plane into the open air airport. It smelled sweet and warm and tropical and like so much adventure to be had for us. At this point, I think I was like 19 and was just elated that I was getting to do such an incredibly exciting adventure and in such a way that at the time I was still making my parents happy with me because I was attending Bible college and was doing these things that were, um, approved uh, of by my family. So I was, it felt like winning to me to be able to do all of this and have my parents be like, look, our daughter's doing, you know, mission work or whatever. It was, 
it was uh, seeking everyone else's approval. And at the same time, I was getting to getting to travel, which I was really excited about. Um, we ended up staying in an old care home facility that had been like somewhat fixed up for us to live to, to live in. It was still very run down and parts of it were disheveled, but like the particular building that the girls were in for that first semester was this old folks home. We later ended up living in tents down by, by the boys camp. It was just a big camp by the time I went back for um, my internship, but more on that in a minute. Within days of being there, I met this guy who I would date off and on for seven years. I literally felt love at first sight as he walked out of the ocean towards me. That's so funny um, to think about now, like how ridiculous that, like in, in like in such a beautiful, nice young way that moment felt for me it was just like, I remember thinking like, oh no, I'm in trouble because I had like wanted to like focus on God or whatever. And here comes this like gorgeous man out of the water, like coming to talk to me and my friends. <laughs> um, we did end up dating off and on for seven years. And that is a part of a story for another time. But me, the friend that I came with and this guy became super close and we would all travel back and forth between this island multiple times for uh, working there and doing internships. So our stories were all uh, tangled up in this experience with this college. Uh, I spent the first semester there just studying, and after I graduated in California, I went back to do that internship, and then I went back to work there. And each time I went back, I had moved up a level in leadership and closer to that inner circle of people leading this community. The church that supported the Bible College started to get twisted by the time I had gone back to work there as the school's registrar. I had known when I was an intern there that a few of the students had been kicked out for bad behavior, but that was, that was kind of sort of the norm. So like my first semester at the college in California, the semester was only like three and a half months, four months long. And there was 26 people kicked out of the Bible college that year for a number of different things, most of which was just like they were having sex. And so we thought that was like, of course they should get kicked out. And this is like, terrible behavior, etc. So I I was familiar with the idea of people getting kicked out of the community. Like this is just not okay, you know. How could they? <laughs> so terrible. Um so I I also knew that like once they were kicked out, we weren't really supposed to talk to them. Um this wasn't stated explicitly for the Bible college. It would later be stated explicitly by the pastor for members of the church, but it was just kind of like this undertone of like, mm, you don't really talk to those people because you don't want to catch what they have. You don't want them to convince you. There was like those subtle cues that people would talk about like, oh, well, they're like going down a slippery slope and could lead you there as well. That was kind of all part of it. But this this kicking out of people started happening to be more frequent and it started happening with church members. And what was interesting is this, the island I was on and the town we were in was very small. So we would see people and so our pastor would get up and say um, what had happened. And if the person was still there, they would be like, you know, humiliated in the audience. But it's like we, this person is under church discipline, it was called. And we want to, we want them back. We want them restored. The goal is always restoration was what was said. But we want, we want them restored to the church. 
But that came with so many clauses. And he said that we weren't allowed to speak with these people unless it was to ask them and beg them to come back. So that was my understanding of it at the time. I was like, okay, um, weird, but it hadn't happened to anyone that I knew. So it felt distant and I assumed that it was justified because it was literally from the Bible. And I was like, okay, that, I guess this is just what happens. This got more personal when my boyfriend at the time was called into a meeting where he was rebuked, quote unquote, for some things. Uh, he and I had kind of been leading discussions with students and allowing them to bring their own perspectives on what the pastor was saying. And we would ask, it was different things. It wasn't a it wasn't what we considered core tenets of the faith necessarily, but my boyfriend and I were very into into like C.S. Lewis and um, Tolkien and the 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 people of the faith who were like philosophers, like um, G.K. Chesterton was a big one, where these people would ask questions like sort of a philosoph philosophical way to look at theology, and we both were attracted to that and loved that. So that was kind of how we were leading these discussions. And the pastor got wind of it and said that we should not be talking to the students about our opinions of the of what he was saying and that we should be bringing those things directly to him. So I believe that's what this this little conversation with my boyfriend at the time was about. Um, he at the time was planning to leave the island for health reasons anyway. So it was kind of... It was kind of an easy out, it felt like. Um, it felt like he was maybe going to be getting kicked out, but he was already leaving. So it was like this weird glossed over, like not fully talked about thing. And we were all upset at this pastor for his behavior, like kicking people out, trying to control these conversations and their relation, his relationship to like the, the Bible college and like how it was being run and that sort of like the role had kind of been blurred for like who was actually in charge of the Bible college. Um, and yet somehow in this meeting, he had all meeting, he had turned it all around and we found ourselves like nodding in agreement and being cool when we walked out of there. And then an hour later we were all like, wait, what just happened? Nothing was resolved and nothing changed. And that was kind of the first time that I started to notice a key aspect of manipulation and that is when you're by yourself in your own energy, you know that something was wrong and that you're not okay with it. But under the influence or like the spell of that person or that relationship, everything seems right in the world and you can't explain it. So my boyfriend left and I stayed for one more semester and I, for some reason, felt like I should finish out the years that got like a new director up online for something. I really don't know. I felt I felt like I needed to stay another semester, so I did. And then things got even stranger. A friend of mine and his fiance were the next people to feel the burn of this pastor's power trip. And it was somehow discovered through like some youth group gossip that my friend, we'll call him L, had had sex at some point before he had arrived to do youth group work at this church. Uh, apparently his fiance knew and was fine. Um, he was apologetic. He was still a deeply religious person at this time um, and had said that he had already apologized to the girl and her family, but the church did not see this as enough. Once they had discovered it, they had him stand before our entire church while they stated his quote-unquote sins and they heaped shame on him. 
I remember it was like a hot, windy Sunday and we were in the church tent and I walked over and just held his fiance. It was one of those like unspoken, like I couldn't believe how horrible this was for them. Like watching humans that you care about up close be humiliated is the most uncomfortable, horrible thing. The pastor went on to prescribe a set of meetings where we would figure out how to, how to like, how to fix this. I don't really know what, like, the goal is always to be restored. So that was like the goal of it. Hello everyone, Christina Carlson here. If you've left your religion behind and feel uncertain what your direction or purpose is now, or if you're feeling like you're having trouble accessing your personal power and getting in touch with your intuition, I would love to chat with you. I'm a life coach and I specifically work with people who have left religion to find their purpose and reconnect with themselves. Please click the link in the show notes to learn more or just head to christinamcarlson.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-M-C-A-R-L-S-O-N.com. Thank you so much. Now back to the show. But there was this one weird meeting we had where we decided decided L's fate. Um, and our church was a set of tents, like I mentioned, and this was in one of the smaller tents and it was raining. All church staff had and Bible college staff had to be there. Um, they provided pizza and an iceberg lettuce salad. It was known that a few of us were gluten-free, so we got to eat only a few pieces of leaves for lunch. While the storm raged on and water was like rushing beneath our feet, and they argued in front of these people they wanted to punish about what their punishment should be. After about two hours, I stood up to exit and used the porta potty, and one of the deacons literally held up his arm and blocked my way and said, Sit down, everyone needs to stay. And I said, No, I have to pee, and I pushed past him. I heard him behind me say, Okay, let's take a quick break. And then we all came back and sat for a few more hours. Uh, I honestly don't remember how it ended. I think I blacked it out. But I just do remember finally going home exhausted when it was dark and feeling so gross having seen someone humiliated to their face like that. There was like a lot of strange requirements uh, that he was asked to do to get back in good standing with the church. And one of the things that they asked besides just like continual meetings to like talk about what he had done, uh, was that he contact the girl that he had slept with and bring her into this process. And Elle said, absolutely not. And he was kicked out. Quote unquote kicked out. He was like, the pastor kind of phrased it as like, he's, he's lost in sin. And we're like, it was all Matthew 18. So we're handing him over to the devil to like, you know, to be restored. And like that, under this guise of like love that was just not present. But that wasn't even the end. Uh, by this point, I was very aware that something was wrong and was openly talking about it with the family that I lived with. The church had split and set up a different church across town and they welcomed Elle in. Um, that church was the church that the family I lived with was attending. So I had visited there a few times and I had many friends at both and it sense how fucked up it was that uh, there was congregants at this at both of these churches that didn't agree with this and felt really torn and controlled by this situation. The ironic thing about this, and I remember thinking this at the time, which probably is part of what sparked my 
deconstruction was that this pastor was kicking people out and he was using the Bible to justify it. And he wasn't wrong. He was following the Bible to the absolute fucking letter. And it was really horrible. And that was so interesting to me to, to see someone who was dedicated to the Bible and following it and harming people. And it was just so, so interesting to see um, that kind of abuse justified by the Bible so in front of my face. Anyway, that was just a, kind of a clue to me that something was maybe a little bit off in how I was reading the Bible. Um, so this was just the beginning for my friend Elle and his fiance. She had just accomplished something big and I went over to her place to celebrate. Uh, Elle was there and so was the family they lived with. And so we all had a mini party. We had lays and popcorn and watched a nature documentary, I think, because the family's kids were there. Uh, it was really nice to see them and we had a really lovely time. I still have a picture of that in my memories on Facebook. The pastor found out that Elle's fiance was living at this home and contacted the homeowner because the homeowner was one of his congregants and he said he would kick her out of the church. She was a single mom if she let Elle's fiance keep living there. So he's threatening the single mom with kicking her out of a church community that is providing a lot for her at the time if she doesn't kick this other woman out of her house. Um, that was, that was so horrible. I don't, I don't think I need to say that. Obviously that's horrible, but just, just witnessing that kind of vindictiveness and that kind of like pettiness over this all in the name of trying to like, quote unquote, win someone back with the love of Jesus. It just did not compute for me. And it, it, all of this took a while to set in. It just, it took me a minute. Like I had to process this. So I like, after, after I left, I started, um, my boyfriend at the time and I moved back to my hometown and attended other churches. And I started, I started to just notice that kind of thing. Um, not necessarily kicking out people, but just like the fact that if you followed the Bible, literally like things like this were inevitable. And also the giving of power to one person over everyone else seemed to be problematic for many reasons. It took me a while to recognize that I had been in a cult because, um, I listened to a life after podcast episode, uh, where they interviewed someone who was an expert in cults and actually gave a definition for a cult. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's definitely a cult. You have a leader who has unbridled power, who is abusing his congregants, who doesn't have accountability of finances, is harming and manipulating people's lives, interfering, interfering and impeding their privacy and autonomy and disrespecting them. And I was just, (laughs) it was just very surprising to me. And, um, also just interesting because I, what I started to notice was that I remember having someone ask me actually, uh, older woman in the church say like, I don't understand how you could like, how you could, you've never been abused at home. How could you fall for this kind of abuse? And I thought that's interesting, but that is the God that I grew up with. 
And I understand that this is not the God everyone grows up with. Um, for sure. I don't want to speak to anyone else's experience, but the God that I was raised with was very abusive, would harm you to prove his point, would harm you to keep you close to him, would threaten you with hell to keep you doing what he thinks is the best thing for your life. That is abusive behavior. And I had grown up with it. And it took me so long to see that. But having this experience with this cult in Hawaii, I started to recognize this behavior sooner and sooner. And when I moved to Kansas City, I felt drawn to a congregation uh, that was had really beautiful people in it. I, I still love many of the people that have attended there. Most of them are non-religious now, but incredible humans. And <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about this cult experience too, but here we go. Um, I met my now partner at that church and it was a, I wouldn't say it was the church. Like we really weren't that involved in the church. Um, I think because at this point I had already been reading about how the Bible is not literal from Rob Bell. I had started to slowly deconstruct aspects. I was no longer okay with homophobia and was just starting starting to realize all of these things, but still attached to this congregation because of the family aspects of it, because I had friends attending there. Um, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, this pastor decides to kick out some of my friends for being queer. <laughs> and um, I had recently, very recently discovered that I myself was bisexual and was really just tapping the edges of what my sexuality meant and was. And then this happened and I was appalled. And also not surprised. Um, it just felt like at this point redundant. I had left a cult in Hawaii and here I was in Kansas City under similar abusive behavior because I was still following the same model of submission and power dynamics that I had always followed my entire life. And I thought to myself, something else is wrong here. There is something deeper wrong than finding the wrong church. The system is messed up. The system is set up to have power over instead of power with. There is something wrong with this system. Um, and that is when I decided that I was not going to be going back. And that was, that was huge for me. Um, I got pregnant with my daughter and by the time she was born, I was truly empowered to, to find a better way of being and find a better way of living and moving and breathing and existing in this world that allows for difference and that allows for belonging to yourself and with other people. There, there has to be a way. And I, I feel like I am slowly making my way at this time towards something much more beautiful than I ever thought possible. And at the same time, I have always known was possible because I, when I was younger, I was always asking these questions and always like 
not necessarily to other people, but to myself, where I was always wanting things that people would say, that's impossible. And a really silly example of this was I wanted to live in a house in the city that had a yard. And then when we moved to Kansas City, I had a house in the city with yard. But when I had said that to my boyfriend at the time, he's like, that just doesn't happen. That's not possible. And it was stuff like that where just so many people in my life had said, no, that's not doable because, and I would say, no, but my heart says it is. (laughs) I just had given up along the way. And I feel like for me, stepping outside of this religious system has really given me the chance to see that my own desire for a way of being that is better is leading me to one that is. And I think that is true for people who are following their deepest heart desires, not just like a surface desire, but like a soul desire to have both and to, to be with beautiful, good, and hard things all at the same time. And to find a way of being with people that is not black and white and that is not dogmatic and harmful and that is respectful and honoring of what it means to be human and what it means to be with without having to try to have power over someone. I... (laughs) Funny story. I'm just going to share this. I might take it out. Um, When I was in college, I met this guy who was uh, just fucking gorgeous. Um, And him and I would mess around and I really just adored him. And he had some funny ideas about relationships in life. And one he shared with me that I agreed with for a while and strongly disagree with now is the rule of the upper hand. And he said in relationships, you always want to work to have the upper hand. You want to have done something so that you have the higher ruling somehow than the other person. And that could be, that could be, um, doing something so they owe you or, um, forgiving someone something so they have to forgive you later. But it's basically this idea of like trying to constantly have power and trying to get back in power. And I look back on that and I'm like, that is actually the absolute example of what I don't want and what I don't think is healthy in a relationship. And so like our, our relationships in my relationships in the past have operated in that, um, capacity because it, it's very religious. (laughs) It feels like always trying to, trying to get back right with God, trying to like ask for forgiveness and be okay again. And it just, it feels so exhausting. And, um, I think of it now as the example of like what not to do because it's, I just think that there's such a better way to be with life and with people. And I'm so happy to be on a journey to discovering it. And I feel like the more I lean into this, the more I uncover that it is possible to live with people. It is possible to live with love. It is possible to live without needing to have power over someone. It is possible to live without submitting to someone. It is possible to exist and just be 
and that be enough and you be worthy just because you exist. And all of these things I have found to be so life-giving and true in this life after. So that is my story of my experience with cults. <laughs> at least in brief, I know there's so many more stories that I will probably share with you all at some point or that will come out in um, this podcast or in uh, the Cheers to Leaving podcast. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. If you've had an experience like this, I would love to hear from you. I uh, would love to interview you on that experience. Um, please email me at Christina Carlson Life Coach at gmail.com. The email will be linked below. Appreciate you all so much, and I'm glad to be on this path of liberation with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Religious Renegade podcast. Please like and subscribe to hear more. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Christina Carlson Life Coach. Thank you.